This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with a great guest. He's an actor, a writer, a host, an exercise professional, and more. It's David Nett. Hey, Joe. Thank you so much uh, for being here. I do prefer Joseph, I should oh, say. Oh, sorry, Joseph. Anyway, I, no, that's I fine. apologize. No, it happens. I understand. Right out of the gate, I just, I just, uh, it's, uh, I'm on the wrong foot. I feel like Cyclops already. Let's go. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I hate, hate uh, telling people that I prefer Joseph. No, it's, I, I found it, that I have. You to. introduced yourself to me as Joseph. I should have repeated that back to you. I don't know. I think it's probably nervousness that did that to me entirely. So that's, that's my bad. I do the opposite. Like, cause I'm so used to, I like having my full name. So if you had told me you were Dave, I would have accidentally said, David. So. Oh. And, I, and I have, uh, I everybody from back home calls me Dave. Growing growing up, that was my name. When I moved here, for some reason, I told somebody David, and now everybody calls me David here. <laughs> so it's more, it, it feels like, a, depending upon what you call me, that's sort of my relationship to you is more of my childhood versus my adulthood. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah, I feel a little bit the same way. There are more people in Minneapolis, where I'm from, who, who still, like, they can't get over the habit of calling me Joe from back in the day before I stated my preference. Uh, do you have a preference for, then since you, you go from David identity to David, superhero, secret identity? <laughs> David's great. Uh, that's, that's, that's cool. We'll, okay. we'll leave it there. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so you have an impressive list of skills in history. <laughs> uh, actor, writer, uh, you have an impressive day job. But then you're in exercise. I didn't know what the right noun was. How would you oh. describe yourself? I said exercise professional, which I sounds weird. I think that's weird. fine. A fitness trainer. Fitness um, trainer. There we yeah, go. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's hard to know exactly what to call that part of my life. Um, coach is a very like intimate sort of word, I think. Yeah. So uh, I have some people for whom I'm their coach uh, in that world. But that's a... But I'm, I'm right now not leading classes or anything, and so it, it's sort of a strange word, and it's associated more with sport than what I do. So, I don't know, fitness trainer is okay. easy, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. you guide people through exercising. Yeah, right? yeah. I I, uh, I just got fit myself like five years ago, and uh, when I turned 40, after I turned 40, and my life kind of turned upside down, and it was one of the ways I kind of found my way back into into life. And, and uh, in the process, I figured out uh, that I... Um, my needs were very different from the typical fitness industry needs or fitness industry processes. Um, this is uh, a, a lot, maybe more than you wanted no, to no, know. No, no, I, I want to know. But uh, but you know, I'm a big nerd. Uh, like basement dwelling, Dungeons and Dragons player, kid. Uh, <laughs> you know, my whole life, I was never like I said, I was never fit or athletic or anything, though I wanted to be when I was small. And uh, uh, but when I started to get fit, I found that the traditional um, sort of military slash high school football slash you know shame based training that most of the fitness industry <laughs> yeah. uses some combination of that didn't motivate me at all and I knew that I, I don't have a very competitive spirit so that right. kind of like one more rep or this guy next to you is doing more that doesn't motivate me it kind of makes Good me for him. curl yeah. up into a ball yeah basically like <laughs> great I feel terrible let's move on uh, and you know I think probably most of society responds really badly to shame. Yeah. Uh, so that didn't motivate me very well either. Um, but I figured out with a friend of mine that I was training with at the time uh, how I needed to be coached. And uh, uh, it, and it led me down a lot of paths of, because I'm a big nerd of researching a lot of methodologies and then a lot of about you know the body and uh, kinesiology and physical fitness and things. And, and that kind of led me to that place where I specialize in uh, uh, helping people who are like me who – for whom physical fitness has not been a part of their lives. Okay. Um, in part because they feel uncomfortable in that environment. So lots of nerds and geeks like me. Um, a lot of people who, when you walk into a gym, you sort of have a little nerd PTSD about being stuck <laughs> in the lockers or whatever we had when we were kids. And, yes. But, but also just a lot of people that don't feel like they're well represented in, in that world, that the, the world wasn't built for them. You know, you walk into a, into a gym and lots of places are, are, are set up to give you great help, but the, the environment that's been built around the fitness industry is does not feel welcoming to those of us who are, you know, who have a little bit of concern about uh, safety or who haven't had any of that in their lives before. And suddenly you're an adult and you don't know where to start. And yeah. the fitness industry is not, it's not very well built for that. And especially if you don't respond to competition and especially if you don't respond to that sort of, you know, traditional fitness, we're going to get you lean. We're going to make you, you know, all, <laughs> that stuff doesn't, if you don't you're respond to a that, piece of meat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you don't respond to that, um, that's kind of where the motivation tools run out for those yeah. places, and you kind of feel left behind. Yeah. Um, or I, I talked to a lot of people who, uh, when I was working at a, a at a gym, um, who would say, "I need to I need to train at home for a little while so I feel comfortable coming to the gym." And that's I think a mentality that we all have. Like yeah. I don't want to. I'm a grown person. I don't want to go someplace and be embarrassed and 
and feel like I'm out of place. Lose control. Yeah. yeah, lose control or, or, or just to be an other. I don't want to be able to watch me while I'm trying to figure stuff out. And, and, uh, so I, I work my, and my, my wife, uh, Christy, uh, we, you know, work together on some ideas of how to, uh, how to make an environment that's very friendly to people who feel like we did. Cool. Um, so yeah, so I specialize in that, um, bringing fitness to people, to nerds and geeks, people who are, not necessarily comfortable with the traditional fitness world. Yeah, and yeah. you're a, a good walking advertisement for it. Oh, I'm sure people comment on it, but you have like such a Superman Clark Kent oh, vibe because so you're awesome. clearly in good shape. But then you've got like super great Clark Kent glasses. Thank so you. So it really does feel like if there's any trouble, those glasses are coming off, and he's going to protect me. <laughs> the thing is, though, it hasn't always been the case. And like I said, I was 40 before I even tried to get fit. Yeah. So anybody can do it. Okay. Uh, cool. Yeah. That is. I mean, you have to get inspiring. glasses then. That's the other okay. part of it. Okay. I've got contacts, so I'll, okay. I'll switch back to glasses. Fair. Fair. <laughs> and start pumping weights. <laughs> uh, that's really cool to have your background because I think it's really uh, interesting and unique, and I think it does. I was wondering as I was preparing this episode how much it ties into your obsession, which is the superhero Cyclops. Yes. I so love the specificity of this obsession. Uh, so can we? Can you tell me just a little bit uh, for people who have never read the X-Men, if okay. they're just like, who who or what is a Cyclops? What's the basics for you? Um, so Cyclops, uh, I think when you identify superheroes, there's a couple things that you want to categorize. The first, what are his powers? Cyclops' powers are... He can shoot uh, force blasts from his eyes, and so that manifests in the comics as like a red laser beam coming out of his eyes. Um, he has a little visor on his head, uh, and that visor helps him control his optic blasts because while they're very powerful, he doesn't have a lot of control over them for a lot of reasons. Um, <laughs> and so and we, can, we can talk about those at great length. Uh, but yeah, so he, he's a guy. He uh, In the classic comics, he has uh, once the X-Men had their own costumes, he's got like a blue suit with yellow shorts. And a blue visor and shoots optic blasts, or a yellow visor, excuse me, shoots optic blasts, and then, uh, and then later in the '90s, the costume that we all know him from the most has a bunch of belt, yellow belts and buckles and yeah, pouches and stuff. He's sort well of like ground well. zero of the pouch joke oh, of the sure. '90s, right? Of was, characters having just an insane amount of pouches. It was peak Jim Lee pouch uh, <laughs> land for Cyclops. But yeah, so that's his powers, and then he's been for most of the time of the X Men their field leader, even when he wasn't the. The actual leader, when Professor Xavier was the leader, he was their sort of field commander. In the yeah. field, he takes charge of the X-Men for most of the time that he's that he's been a superhero. Um, and he's sort of a he's a very uh, driven, sort of straight-laced guy. Uh, if you play Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, he's definitely lawful good. <laughs> Although there are times when his the uh, the outcomes of his actions don't end up being good. In fact, it happens a lot. He fails a lot. Uh, and I think he's a he is a He's a really interesting hero to me because as part of that whole, his leadership of the X-Men is he's one of the, uh, uh, he doesn't have like a big panoply of powers or anything. He has one specific thing that he does. He's very he powerful. Shoots beams from shoots his beams eyes. beams from his eyes. Yep. Um, but otherwise, he's in kind of the modern superhero world. He feels a little bit underpowered in some cases. Yeah. Um, and he's he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, again, for lots of reasons. Uh, the, his parents died when he was young. They've got the Batman stuff going on. Almost every superhero has <laughs> parents died when they were young. But parents died when he was very young. His brothers were taken from him. Lots of uh, secrets were held from him growing up. Really, his only family are these mutants who've been persecuted his whole life. And while he has been placed in a position of leadership, it's often been without enough information uh, to actually accomplish his goals. And he's failed a lot and carries right. a lot of guilt. He's had lots of deaths, carries a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. And and that's reflected in all of his actions. Right. He's a lawful good person trying to navigate this very ambiguous world sure. of we're going out and we're fighting as mutants. Yeah. But we're trying to convince humans that they should trust us. But we're also dealing with the fact that they hate us and they're prejudiced yeah for, for most of his for most of his life he's been a big idealistic adherent of professor xavier's dream which yeah. has been humans and mutants living together in harmony despite the fact that through his entire life humans have just been trying to kill him yeah and you know and as he's battling either those threats or other threats and saving the world in some way there have been very few times in the history of the x-men where where society in general has looked positively on them Right. So, yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a creature he, of that conflict. And he stays pretty true, uh, right. except for a couple of random divergences to, yeah. to really mess with the character. Well, the, the, in, in recent years, I mean, as we start to dig into this, in recent years, the Cyclops character changed uh, in really interesting ways after, you know, I mean, in real lifetimes after 
40-ish, 30-ish years yeah. of his mean, history. Anybody who just kind of doesn't age <laughs> exactly. is in great shape for 30 or 40 years and their wife dies and their the person who looks like their wife dies yeah. and multiple times. Everybody yeah. dies and <laughs> is aban- feels abandoned and ends up killing his mentor. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, these things go sideways. These things do stress you out a little bit. So he has changed now. Is it a kind of a permanent change or was it a blip? Well, he's in the spoiler alert, by the way, in the Marvel Comics universe, he's dead now. Okay. Um, so uh, in the last, um, I have to think about where is the right place to go back to. Uh, I think Civil War might be a good place because the movie Civil War came out. Yeah. So a lot of people will know kind of broadly the Marvel Universe was in conflict. Um, Steve Rogers led a contingent and, and Iron Man led a contingent. And basically the idea was um, Iron Man's side wanted all all superheroes to register and be tracked by the government. Yeah. Um, Captain America wanted them to continue as they were. Um so post civil and and while the X Men were mostly on the side of that, a bunch of bad stuff happened to them during that period too. And post Civil War, things were pretty janky. Um, and uh, uh, the uh, the mutants have been decimated. Um, Cyclops was leading a group of mutants that were sort of off the west coast on an island. Wolverine was leading a group of mutants who were in the old mutant base. Professor Xavier had mostly retired, and. Uh, the situation was was pretty bad for yeah. for all sides at that time. And uh, after sort of he and Xavier had been clashing a lot because it turned out that Xavier had lied to him about his history and had hidden a brother from him, like went in and psychically scrubbed his brain to hide a, hide one of his brothers okay, from him. Yeah, like mean superhero soap Xavier's, opera stuff. I mean, if, if you take into the X-Men history, Xavier's basically a supervillain. Despite being leader of the X-Men for all those years, <laughs> the, the stuff that Xavier does to people, he's basically a supervillain. He is a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do kind of guy. I mean, yeah. you think about his power to start with. When, when, it, when it starts in the, you know, in the early X-Men years as being able to talk to people in their brains and communicate and find people across great distances, telepathy, great. But as that evolves pretty quickly, it turns into, I'm going to control your body and, and do things, make you do things you don't want to do, or I'm going to wipe some of your memories out so you don't remember this happening. Yeah. And that's, that's supervillain stuff. But you know? trust me. Exactly. But trust me, because I've got a good vision. <laughs> Look, I was just searching the entire world for <laughs> troubled teens to see if you'd want to come to my mansion. I no mean, big yeah. deal. It's all, everything's fine. And if you don't want to, maybe I scrub your brain so you don't remember this happening. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a creepy old dude. And, uh, and so, and he and Cyclops ended up in, in really uh, great conflict. And so Cyclops basically said, take a hike, old man. You're not part of this anymore. Okay. And Xavier retired. But it, it caused a lot of, obviously, problems inside the X-Men. And from that point on, Scott's, uh, with all the loss the X-Men had encountered and multiple losses of, of wives and, and loved ones in his family, um, and just a realization that while... Uh, you know, Magneto's dream of mutant domination was not the way he's he's not capable of embracing that. He's he is, you know, lawful good. Xavier's dream of peaceful coexistence didn't seem possible after yeah. all that time. And so he basically says, We're gonna take the mutants, we're gonna move them to an island off the west coast. San Francisco gives him this land because they there's some stuff that they save the city. And he says we're calling this Utopia. Uh, all mutants who want to come here, whatever are left, there's only a couple hundred of them left in the world at this time, come Live with me. Live in Utopia. We're going to live in Utopia. We're not going to really have X Men and stuff anymore. You know, he among the group he talks about if things need to happen, they need to go save a mutant or save something. They may intervene, but mostly they become sort of an isolationist society. Okay. Um, and from that point on, uh, it's sort of like a he's sort of a broken man in a lot of ways. He's somebody who's had this ideal that he's been fighting for for his whole life, and he makes a very reasonable compromise. I think um, inside of the world that he lives in, but it. It sort of breaks him. Okay. Um, so as he removes himself from being a hero and becomes more of a leader that he sees as protecting the only family he's ever had, the world of mutants, he the lengths to which he will go to protect them become sort of darker and darker. He has a major authoritarian streak that starts to manifest itself, <laughs> um, which is in no way good. It's not like we we don't have any idea what authoritarian rule looks like. We might be getting um, a little uh, crash course on. Yeah, no, it's that's, yeah. what's that like? Completely. So do you feel like this for you? Did it did this break the character? You're talking about it in a very understanding way. So did you feel like you you've marched through time with this character yourself, and you feel like I understand sometimes the world attacks your ideals and. You try to bend, but maybe you break a little bit. Does it does it still work for you? To me, it feels really real. And I think, I mean, part of it's because I'm a writer as well. And, I mean, essentially comic books are soap operas, right? They're, yeah. 
they're, you know, these stories that last for decades and decades, always with the same character, things popping up and resolving and retconning and, you know, um, surprise relatives. No one's ever dead. Exactly. Very similar. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very much like that. I think in the X-Men especially. Um, and so, uh, I understand the evolution of story and the evolution of character and the Cyclops that exists, you know, in the sixties and seventies and the early eighties, he's not an interesting character anymore. Um, but I think that the writers over the years have done a really good job evolving that character with the time in a way that some of the other characters haven't haven't done such a good job. And I think it helps that for very few people, very few people, I think, would say Cyclops is their favorite superhero. So it's hard to mess with Spider-Man. It's hard to mess with Captain America or Superman or Batman because there's a, a lot of fans that have very solid ideas of what they want these characters to be and, and reject a lot of the changes to them. If you, you look yeah. at the changes that were made to Superman in the, in the early nineties, all the ridiculous things after yeah, his death. You're like, yeah, no, no, yeah. he doesn't need to be electric. Yeah. But Aquaman yeah. and Cyclops kind of have this bond in that they've been pushed around by fans yeah. for a long time for being generally pretty nice guys with some kind of unique, but make fun of all, you can make fun of their powers. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, they both start to snap and push back and go, yeah. you know, like, well, Cyclops is like, well, now I, I, you know, my, my morals are a little bent and now Aquaman loves Soundgarden is into heavy metal. It's like <laughs> uh, fascinating. But I want to go back to the very beginning okay, for sure, you. Yeah. So when did you first encounter Cyclops? Did you immediately, when you first read an X-Men comic, were you like, yes, that's the one that I gravitate toward? So after, when, when you and I met at Comic-Con this year and we were talking about doing this, uh, I started to think about that because I, oh, cool. you know, I, I... I wondered myself, when was it that Cyclops was for me? And I, I I spent a lot of time in my childhood as a young nerd in rural North Dakota, which is not was not at the time the most welcoming place for a young nerd in the late 70s, yeah. early 80s. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time kind of rebelling against who I was or trying not to be who I was. Okay. I was the smart kid in class who ruined the curve and wasn't good <laughs> at sports. And I wanted desperately to be, you know, cool and, you know, a uh, cowboy or at least a basketball player or something you know <laughs> um and so but i still like nerdy things star wars and comic books and stuff um and uh i think i think the answer to the question is that cyclops always appealed to me i didn't come into the comics until uh with the original characters from the 60s um it was around the time that uh the new team was introduced uh where uh, the original x-men had gone on a mission that Xavier had sent them on without enough information to actually complete the mission. <laughs> and all of them were captured except for Cyclops, who escaped. And then Xavier helped him find and train a new team of X-Men. And this is the X-Men that a lot of us recognize, the Wolverine and Colossus yeah. and Nightcrawler and Storm. They came out of this thing. And so that, and that's around the time that I was also introduced to the X-Men. So I was reading those issues. I was probably there a few years old at that time, but that's when I was introduced to them. Um, and I, and I will, I can see now that I was always very attracted to this character, this Cyclops who was trying to be a leader, who had failed spectacularly, who was trying to make up for this this failure that he had that he had done, and and in a way, while he does rescue his old teammates, he actually breaks the X Men in the process. The old teammates leave the team. He stays <laughs> with the new ones because he doesn't think he can live in the world. You know, it's a it's like a really uh, a really an emotional place. And I will say, this same time is when I was I was a big Star Wars fan. All of my Peers loved Han Solo, the yeah. kind of scoundrel rascal. I was always a Luke Skywalker guy, <laughs> but it was wildly uncool to be a Luke Skywalker fan. Yeah. Um, I uh, Wrath of Khan. I mean, so Wrath of Khan was a little later, so like fourth grade, I think, when Wrath of Khan came yeah. out. Um, but I, I remember sitting in the back of my dad's red Mercury Bobcat after seeing Wrath of Khan on my birthday and just crying about Spock. Like yeah. what, what, what I saw in Spock was so inspiring to me. Um, I wasn't the least bit interested in being Kirk, you know, uh, and and it, all of those characters are connected in a really strong way for me. Um, but I, I don't think I would have told anyone that's, that Cyclops was my favorite character. In fact, I'm sure of it. Did you have anyone um, to talk to about comics, about geeky stuff? Yeah, I mean, I had I had some nerdy friends. One of my next door neighbors, my little brother. Um, when I got into like middle school, I, I, I was asked to play Dungeons and Dragons by a new kid who had just moved to town. And that's where my tribe oh. really came from. But yeah, probably prior to that, it was maybe my next door neighbor, Patrick Johnson and, and my brother, <laughs> you know, essentially. Okay, okay so um, you had a little community. Yeah. And things like Star Wars and stuff. I mean, it was the early 80s. Everybody 
everybody could talk everybody about could Star talk about Wars, it. You couldn't right? talk about it too much. Right. You right. couldn't cross a certain threshold. Not nearly as much as I wanted to talk yeah. about it, especially as I started <laughs> to get older, but you could talk about it. Yeah, but yeah, comic books are getting a little bit nerdier. So even among this little tribe, this little clique you had, yeah, I you probably wouldn't would have said, come out as a Cyclops fan. No, I probably would have said, I mean, everybody loved Wolverine White from the beginning. Right. Um, I probably would have said Wolverine or Nightcrawler. Um, as I got older, I tried to, I gravitated toward a lot of uh, minor characters that that people didn't pay attention to. Forge is one of my favorite X Men. Okay, um, but uh, but I but I think the whole time I identified most and I love, I remember most and love most the Cyclops stories. Um, even though I probably wouldn't have admitted that he was my favorite hero, it wasn't until I more accepted who I was yeah. that I was able to say, yeah, Luke, Luke Skywalker is the dude. Cyclops is the dude. Yeah, uh, you know. I, I, uh, it's a little bit of a tangent, but I recently rewatched all of Lost, um, which I love dearly. And yeah. Jack, and Jack Shepard is a character I identify with oh, yeah. so strongly, that but he's Jack the, that same Sawyer character. is that Luke Han Cyclops yeah. Wolverine divide yes. of the charming roguish yeah. guy who has a heart of gold buried under everything versus the just straight stand up guy going like, who's I'm trying, trying to do, the right, to do thing. the right thing all the time. I'm and saying people it are loudly not, and clearly. And Let's people do are the not right listening thing. to him, yeah. but but inevitably there is in that straightforward approach to what you believe is the right thing. There are so many pitfalls and so much failure to be had there, and then. So much guilt to be carried when all of it doesn't work out. So. so is that what you're getting a little bit older in? When do you have this epiphany? You said when you became a little bit more probably uh, around uh, like 17 or 18, probably relatively okay. late. I think, you know, uh, I again, I grew up in rural North Dakota. Well, I, I found my tribe with my Dungeons and Dragons crew when I was 12. Um, and I was invited to play D&D, and, like, my whole world is kind of blown open. These yeah. Two kids moved to town, one a year older than me, one two years older than me. They were brothers, and uh, and they came to town with a giant collection of G.I. Joe that they still played with um, and, like, posed and stuff <laughs> instead of dioramas at a time when I was ashamed of loving my G.I. Joe guys and came with these Dungeons & Dragons books and do you want to play D&D? And it just like, – yes. and they were utterly unconcerned with whether they were cool or not. Yeah. And uh, – but I still – you know, for most of high school, I walked this line where they were my people, but – I, I I felt like I still needed to try to be a basketball player, and I still tried to need, need to try to be cool, and okay, um, and I was miserable at those things. But I kind of walked this line through all of high school, and I think finally around seventeen ish or so, I graduated. Uh, I'm a little younger than most of my class, and so around the time I graduated high school was I think when I finally was like, you know what, screw it, this is who I am. Um, I, I don't know why I've been trying to be something yeah. else, and I think I think it probably would have been that time. Um, I I don't know if I was collecting comics. At that time, still, but that would have been the time when I would be able to admit, yeah, this is this is who I am. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so then you you start to invest in like, yes, I do love Cyclops. Yeah. Now you have come back to this theme of uh, of shame of in your personal life sure. and in Cyclops of like, hey, if you try to do the right thing, your failures will eat at you and all of that. Yeah. So it seems like you have this good solid idea of who Cyclops is. Do you ever feel as a big fan that he's too defined by his other relationships because he's Professor Xavier's sort of son that can't quite do right? He is uh, the boyfriend husband who can't ever truly help or save Jean Grey or live up to Jean Grey. And he's the wet noodle to the awesomeness <laughs> of Wolverine uh, yeah. and all of those things. Do, do you feel like... I think... Uh, so I think that the public perception of him is too much of that. And I think a lot of the ways he's appeared in other media outside the comics, and even sometimes in the comics, depending upon who's writing, it relies a little bit too much on that. But I actually don't think... I think one of the problems with people nailing down Cyclops and really understanding him and maybe relating him to other people that way is that he's a... I think he's a more complex character than your typical main focus superhero. Yeah. He's, a, he's a leader of a team, but he has more of a supporting character... Uh, nuance about him, and I think it's it's easy to see him in relationship to Wolverine, who who is kind of one thing for the most part. I mean, he's yeah. become more complex over the years, but he's an easily understandable hero. And it's easy to see him in relationship with Jean, who is always or who is mostly, especially the, in the classic books, written really one dimensionally. Um, it's easy to see him in relationship to to Professor Xavier because Professor Xavier is one kind of one thing. He's more complex and nuanced, okay. and so I don't think he's He's defined by those things as much or any more than a normal real life human being is. <laughs> okay. It's just a little bit abnormal for a comic book hero, I think. Yeah. Um, I think he's got very strong ideals and a very strong mission, but he's also he's carrying all all of his backstory 
really blatantly on his shoulders all the time in a way that I don't think every comic book hero does. Okay, yeah, because uh, his the portrayal of his trauma of uh, losing parents and all that. Uh, do you feel like that is usually portrayed as he is aware of that, or is he somebody who's really trying to stuff it down and not deal with it so he can be there for other people? Well, I think I think mostly the latter, and I think it, it manifested itself really strongly in. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think timeline wise where where this was, but after. When Joss Whedon was writing Astonishing X-Men, so this is probably eight years ago, maybe? Okay. Eight or nine years ago? Uh, I think that's right. Um, he, uh, Emma Frost, one of the other X-Men characters, helped him, and at the time his his love interest, um, helped him realize that his inability to control his optic blast, which he'd always been told was like brain trauma from the accident that killed his parents, was actually PTSD. Yeah. Um, that his was a self-imposed restriction on his own power out of guilt and shame and and the trauma of his childhood yeah and so i think that uh so i think the answer is is yes i think he buries uh that trauma a lot and instead you know puts himself in a position of savior often unasked for yeah to others instead of facing his own demons um to the point where even when emma is able to help him overcome that trauma in the end it comes back okay because uh, as he's just got used to living that way he, i think <laughs> Um, for a lot of people who put themselves in, again, sometimes unwanted leadership positions or unasked for leadership positions or, or you know, kind of have savior complexes and stuff. Um, I'm not speaking, by the way, from any kind of personal experience. <laughs> um, he, uh, I, th- I think often the idea of self-care becomes not only something that you don't think about doing, but something that is anathema to your personality. The idea that you're going to care for yourself. Right becomes not only something I just don't do, but something that if I do that, it's going to damage my idea of who I am. Right, you feel like you're dropping the ball because you're not taking care of something else. You're taking care of yourself. Anytime my attention, Cyclops' attention would turn away from caring for the mutant world in order to care for himself. And he's done some selfish things over the years, but those things always end in horrible tragedy too. So So he knows where he's going no matter what. Yeah, Yeah, that's really really interesting. I was reading up a little bit on Wikipedia. I mean, my, my... knowledge of x-men is mostly mid 80s okay uh, but i really gravitated towards cyclops too oh interesting I, I was always i think I, I i was also a luke skywalker kid okay i think i just gravitated towards the stand-up the good guy. sincere person yeah um and but also of all of the super freakish mutant powers you know and nightcrawler dealing with Right. I can't, you know, even go out in public. And Wolverine's, you know, it hurts every time my claws come out. <laughs> there was something that was powerful, and I was just fascinated by, it, maybe because I had glasses, that idea of the beams are always shooting out of his eyes. Yeah. The idea of something always shooting out of your body. Yeah. Like, and as a kid, I didn't think about it on this level, but now, like, hearing you describe it, it is like his eyes are always screaming. Yeah. And he's like, I'm okay. It's just that constantly... Every time, if I go to you know a, a deli and I'm ordering a sandwich, yeah. my eyes are screaming. Yeah. I'm pretending that everything's fine, and you don't know I'm eating a ham sandwich. Yeah. But I'm always screaming. Yeah. From my eyes, always. <laughs> I mean, and that's the and again, you know, that's the the coping the, the idea of sort of like coping with trauma and difference. I mean, obviously, uh, Stanley created the X Men as an allegory for uh, you know uh, race relations in the yeah. United States. Um, but that's the 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 idea that this character looks normal, but there is this scream coming from his eyes all the time that he's trying to control that, that he can't. Yeah. I think there's also maybe something about that, like um, not being able to ever fit in because even among, he's not going to be accepted by normal people, but then among the mutants, he's not that weird looking outside. And then his powers not, that amazing so yeah. i think there's something i related to too of this guy who's like even when he finds where he's supposed to be he's not quite yeah in well the right and, and i think you know the i always joke about when people tell me that they hate cyclops i always say his he's got the hardest job cyclops <laughs> when, when he's leading the x-men he has one of the, he has the hardest job because he's got a bunch of people who who don't fit in anywhere they're outcasts because of you know because of their birth um they've got these incredible powers most of them have massive authority issues because that's fun to write in comics and yeah. you know and he's 
a, in many cases, self-appointed leader of them, and they will not listen to them, and they will not do what he says, and he, you know, he believes he's doing the right thing, and he's got a, he's got an incredibly hard job, um, and so yeah, I think uh, uh, the fact that he is different from them as he is different from he doesn't really control his powers, he has machinery to control his powers. Yeah. He's different from them in the same in a similar way to how he's different from the rest of the world, and I think the reality, one of the fascinating things about Cyclops for me, when when the team switched over um, after the Krakoa uh, incident. Uh, where he, the team is captured by the island and he has to make a new team to, or with Xavier to make a new team to, to rescue them. When the old X-Men leave and he decides to stay, he decides to stay because he doesn't feel there's any place for him in the real world, despite the fact that his new team that's joining him is a fuzzy elf and, you know, <laughs> a, a, you know, secret service trained murderer and yeah, you know a goddess yeah. of of of, uh, of the weather and he's just a dude who very easily could go through life with sunglasses on and no one would ever be the wiser and the world would accept him just fine yeah but he can't he can't accept that it isn't that the world has rejected him the way that they did nightcrawler or something it's that he's othered himself yeah um in his own mind and that's what forces him to stay in yeah, this place. And there's that great tension between like a, he's kind of the ultimate other, the ultimate outsider, and then at the same time he's like he's like m- middle management. He's like he really I, I, almost everyone got laid off from this uh, yeah. business that's about twenty years old, uh, and I'm I'm middle management. Yeah. I kind of know the rope. So look, bureaucracy yeah. is how systems scale, but nobody <laughs> likes the bureaucrat. <laughs> that's true. Poor Cyclops has to be the bureaucrat. Yeah. Uh, do you get upset as a Cyclops fan when people make the joke or critique that his name should not be Cyclops because he has two eyes, technically? Oh, wow. Um, I, I don't think I've ever heard that argument oh, really? made against me. No. Okay. Uh, Maybe it's just jokes on Twitter I've seen. Oh, possibly. Uh, I, I mean, guess. but Twitter gets to a point where it's like sure. people get up in the morning and like, what can I make fun of next? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, weirdly. No, I've never seen that. It never even occurred to me, honestly. Because um, you, the usual depiction is he's got the visor right. and the beam comes out in one mm-hmm. blast. But he does have two eyes. It's not like he has one eye in the middle of his head in a traditional Cyclops way. So is yeah. this yet another manipulation of Professor X where he gave him <laughs> uh, a dumb name? Well, I mean, they all kind of have dumb names in yeah. the original X-Men, right? Like, you know, and and I think, the, I mean, the dumbest of the original X-Men, of course, is that you've got Cyclops and Iceman, the, the most literal thing you could think of, <laughs> and Angel because he kind of looks like an angel, and Beast for a guy who really just has big hands and feet and is acrobatic. Why you call him Beast? That's just super horribly mean. Yeah, it's Professor and, X saying, look, we are not different. Uh, I will call you Beast. Like, come yeah. on. And, and you know, and this, so this team, this team with all nicknames, and then Jean Grey, um, <laughs> who doesn't even get a nickname initially, and I, she becomes Marvel Girl, I think, in like issue two or three or four or something. Okay. So it, it happens that that she <laughs> gets the name Marvel like... Girl, but nobody ever calls her that. And even when everybody else is using code names, she gets called Jean Grey. So I mean, she really gets the short stick in that. I mean, that's why she keeps turning into Phoenix, right? Because yeah. she needs a good name. Yeah, it's it's, it's bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So <laughs> you, you accept the name Cyclops? Yeah, I, I'm I'm cool with Cyclops. Have you ever made? consciously a different life decision because of Cyclops because you've thought through like what would Cyclops do from like a small interpersonal thing to like a large life choice relationships jobs yeah I mean the short answer is yes I I think um yeah I'm I'm heavily influenced by the stories that I've been told in my life I think all of us are to a certain extent and I have been a pretty voracious consumer of stories and so I don't think like I don't wear like a what would Cyclops do bracelet or anything, but I do have a jacket that says Cyclops was right, and and I do. I mean, I have a a deep love for for these paladin characters in all the media that I've consumed, and yeah. and uh, uh, and I think I have a I, I have developed over my adult life a very strong sense of trying to do the thing that is right. Um, I think I while I try to avoid the pitfalls that I, I talked about with the Jack Shepherds and the Cyclops of the. Uh, appointing myself leader of things that nobody's invited me to be leader of yeah. or anything like that. I've tried to avoid that. But uh, but yeah, I think, I mean, Cyclops specifically and those characters in general, sure. Yeah. I, I think, um, I mean, there's obviously danger in doing that for fictional characters because they've had so many writers over the years that which Cyclops are you talking about? But but yeah, I think from a from a sort of a central idealistic standpoint, and then I think sometimes if I if I determine yes, this is what Cyclops would do, I I've read enough of the stories to be able to say now was that the right thing? Okay, um, should Cy- Cyclops yes would do this in the real world 
should that be the course of action? Okay. Because again, a lot of those kinds of heroes, the, the Jack Shepherds and the Beric Dondarians and the you know, Luke Skywalkers <laughs> and the Cyclopses of the world often take it upon themselves to make decisions for, for other people and you know things that they have no business doing. Right, so, right. There's always and a second part of that. Even if maybe the decision is correct in the big picture, it's going to cause a lot of collateral damage. Sure, and I think, I mean compassion and consent go hand in hand and and that's i think i think if you look back at like a cyclops especially the really big screw-ups that he's had especially in modern history cyclops are because he sought the right thing without seeking consent okay Um, and i think that's a it's a sort of a really simplistic way to state it but that's that's what he did and that's what happened and that's why he became in the marvel universe he becomes a really reviled figure before he dies yeah um because of that he does what he believes is the right thing but without the consent of the people who'll be affected by it okay that's really insightful that's awesome oh. <laughs> now when you went on your journey to get fit when mm-hmm. you said you turned around 40 yeah um were you thinking of cyclops because i mean for me as a kid yeah i think that was one of the th- cool things too because it was cool that Wolverine could get cut by 800 ninjas and he would bleed and look badass, but then he would heal. Yeah. And Cyclops was like, if the wrong person punches you, you will yeah. die and you're just fit. I, you, you're, you've yeah. just exercised a lot. I've often, I often think a lot about there's a lot of sequences throughout the X-Men history where Cyclops is working out in the danger room without his power. Like he specifically does not use his powers and he's just trying to overcome the same obstacles that have been designed to test his powers Without, without his powers. Them. And so that, I mean, that, yeah, that yeah. image strikes me a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's, there's been times when he has been without his powers for one reason or another and has to keep himself together. Um, he's not as good at it as, say, Storm is. And in fact, there's a period where he's fighting Storm for leadership of the X-Men um, after he's come out of sort of a semi-retirement. Yeah. And, and Storm she- has lost her powers. And she still beats him in the danger room. Um, and then that's when he re- like retires for real for a while. <laughs> yeah, and but. I think also from like my general era of reading, one of the reasons that uh, one of the many uh, moments of shame for Cyclops where people made fun of him of like that he can't, yeah, he can't catch a break. Poor well, Cyclops. and it, I mean, and that was a deserved one. I mean, yeah, and I think for me that's part of what makes the character so enticing um, and interesting for me is that. It's not like it's the world putting upon him all the time. Well, sometimes it's the external forces that cause his failure or, or put him in a bad position. He he is like any human being making a lot of his own mistakes too. He's he's uh, he's creating some of his own problems. Yeah. Like he obviously he didn't make Jean Grey, didn't make the Phoenix Force inhabit Jean Grey, <laughs> you know. Um, but he did decide that he was more capable than Storm to lead the X Men and challenge her to a fight when he had no business doing so. When, yeah. that, when that wasn't the right thing. That wasn't the right call. He and created he, that problem. Yeah, and he <laughs> and he paid for it. Yeah. So I, I derailed this a little bit because I got so excited talking about Cyclops' <laughs> physique, but. Did you think of him when you started to physically train? Was yeah. he one of the heroes that was on your mind? Oh, absolutely. Because I think, I mean, I, 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 as I started to figure out how I was going to become fit, and honestly, I don't know if I would have stuck with it uh, without the help of my friends and, um, and the, the reality that working out did take my mind off of some of the troubles I was having in my life at the time. But think, I thought about Cyclops a lot and because I think one of the things that I realized early on is that the sort of ideal physique that was popular, you know, five years ago and that's right now is is that sort of Hugh Jackman in the more recent Wolverine movies versus Hugh Jackman in the first Wolverine movie or Bruce Willis in <laughs> Die Hard, right? Yeah. This like super ripped and jacked gigantic physique. I was never going to be that. Yeah. Um, and while in the comics all of them are drawn with like really def- defined muscles and stuff, Cyclops' nickname was Slim when Wolverine first met him. He yeah. was he was strong and athletic and stuff, but he wasn't like wiry. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't the heavily muscled guy. He was very fit. He's a tall person. He's a big guy, but not rippling with muscle. And so yeah. definitely that was part of my part of what I thought about. Okay, yeah, I, like- I didn't expect to be rippling with muscle. I weirdly got a little bigger and squarer than I expected to. <laughs> um, just genetically, I guess that was how my body decided to get strong. But, uh, but yeah, no, that was definitely in my mind. Okay, so you were shooting for Cyclops and you ended up a little bit Colossus. Yeah, well, not, <laughs> I mean, a little bit, not, not, not really. But I, I mean, I'm a big guy. I'm 6'2", and, yeah. and it turns out I've, I've got, like, uh, you know, very um, English and Germanic heritage. Okay. And it turns out my body type is more like mid-80s David Hasselhoff than, <laughs> than uh, you know, than a, like a ripped, muscular, lean dude. Fair enough. Uh, now, if you were... A mutant 
if it turned out mutants were true and it kicks in much later in life in real life than much, in the comics, much later. Much, much later, because I'm still hoping myself that I've got the mutant every, gene. Every morning I wake up and I'm like, "Damn, come it on, didn't happen." Come on, second puberty where I get mutant powers. Yeah, come to me. Um, what would you want your mutant powers to be? Would you want Cyclops' powers? Would you want other powers? What would you want? So I think, like most nerds, I have thought about this a lot. Um, I, I I wouldn't actually want Cyclops' powers. Okay. Um, I think uh, I'm not. Well, I think Scott is not naturally either. Uh, I'm not a, like a violent person, like something. Obviously, superhero powers are going to be used in combat, but that's not his powers are very aggressive. Yeah, they're uh, shooting people with a giant beam. Yeah. So, um, no, I think for me, telekinesis is the ultimate superpower. Okay. Um, because it's it's a, it can be a proxy for so many different powers and abilities. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's the deal for me. That's the jam, telekinesis. Yeah, you can push, you can pull, and that's right there. Got some weighty. Yourself, you can punch, you can lift, you can move things. You can, f- if properly uh, understood, you can fly. I mean, you get all, you get the whole. Yeah, you can just be as creative as you want, and yeah. you get something. All right, so if you had those abilities, mm. what name would you give yourself? <laughs> um, my first instinct is. Uh, so I play a lot of role-playing games, too. So my other, I think if there's two obsessions, well, there's 20 obsessions. But <laughs> Dungeons & Dragons role-playing games will be my next after, oops, after Cyclops. I just cranked on my windscreen. Um, uh, my first, like, superhero role-playing game character was a character called Providence. Okay. Um, and, I like, I really dig oh. that name, Providence. Um, and he was uh, a little bit like me um, in that he was a jack of many, had lots of little powers and no big powers, like a jack of many trades kind of character. So Providence, I think, is what I would. Okay. Yeah. Providence, the telekinetic man. Yes, exactly. All right. I exactly. look forward to reading those adventures. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to move on to our How Obsessed Are You questions. These are questions or variations of. I ask everybody. There are no right or wrong answers. Do you think about Cyclops every day? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that's regardless of whether you're reading or watching a movie or a cartoon. It's, you're, it's you're hard not to, I'll just say it's hard not to in my apartment. I've got a couple of Cyclops statues. I've got two different Cyclops jackets. I've got, so it, it would be difficult for me. I think I've got my background screens on my computer. It would be difficult for me not to think of Cyclops even if I didn't want to. Okay. So you physically go through your day always seeing Cyclops. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> there is rarely a day where I don't see a really solid kick-ass picture of Cyclops. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Did you, when did you make that? choice because <laughs> i mean uh, to to say like out of all of your nerd interests like this is the one that i'm gonna you know move to this level of prominence of being that that's a big place of honor for a nerd of many interests to be yeah. on a screensaver you well know? he's not the only one that i okay. see like that every day but yeah i think um I, I think around that same time that i got physically fit when i turned 40 um i got i got divorced was the big thing that happened okay. in my life at that time and so suddenly after 21 years with someone else uh, a lovely woman we're still friends um i i had complete control of my own domain for a while <laughs> and so at that time was when uh you know my big star wars poster and the cyclops and uh you know these things became like uh, always with me okay that makes a lot of sense uh you sort of uh, answered this next question but i want to dig deeper okay sure when people walk into your home can they tell you're obsessed with cyclops Yes, although I think they may have a hard time picking out exactly the hierarchy of the obsession. <laughs> okay. Because uh, there's some, some pretty solid Blade Runner posters. There's a bunch of comic book art. Um, my wife, Christy, has a bunch of also nerdy art on the walls. Okay. There's a big Star Wars poster. There's a huge map of Greyhawk, the Dungeons & Dragons world that I've played in for 30-plus years, <laughs> uh, and Cyclops statues and She-Hulk, because that's Christy's. Oh, nice. So it would be difficult to know which one was my was my chief obsession, but okay. it would be hard to miss. But people would know that you like Cyclops, because yeah, you're saying statues, not action are, figures. Well, statues. there are two Funko Pops and one really, like, prominent statue and a handful of lego figures and um a handful of comic book art pages with cyclops specifically on them so there's a solid uh solid you know representation of okay a solid presence of cyclops that's nice uh would you get or do you have a cyclops tattoo i don't have a cyclops tattoo but i've thought about it a lot so i have only three tattoos um but i've because i'm always thinking about more because i want more tattoos i have one, two, three, four other tattoos that I'm thinking about, and one of them is a Cyclops tattoo. Okay, so he's in the mix. Yeah, so it's, and it's just like his, uh, a, a really sort of almost 50s propaganda, simple stylized of his head with the visor 
uh, and the open mouth part of the mask, and it's just very simple. Nice. Cyclops, yeah. So can I ask you what other tattoos you have right now? Uh, I've got a D20 on my wrist. That's nice. the Dungeons and Dragons stuff. And that's, that's got there. the 20 uh, represented clearly. Yeah, it would be sad if I had the one as the main <laughs> side it. of the... That's a, that's a very definite <laughs> statement about your life if you decide the one is, is what you want facing up. So I've got that, and then I've got uh, on my shoulder, I have... Um, I have to say the hipster thing about this because these tattoos are fairly old and they and they kind of predate the nerds are cool area. Yeah. I just need to qualify myself as sort of a nerd hipster in that case. But I've got the Watchmen Doomsday Clock on oh, my yeah. shoulder, surrounded by some some ravens that I designed. Ooh, nice! Um, and then on my back, I have an Ouroboros, a snake eating its own tail, with a bunch of Cyrillic letters inside of it because I liked the way the Cyrillic looked, and I wanted to have some nerdy quotes that mattered to me. In it's actually in the Doomsday Clock too. But I didn't want them to be in plain English because I don't know. Maybe there's still a little nerd shame in me. So okay. I have the 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 doomsday clock says the time is near on my back. I have uh, who watches the watchers and uh, this is who we are um, from Millennium, the TV show Millennium, which I'm a huge I, fan of. I, you are uh, one of the few people that I've ever spoken to who also oh, likes and knows Millennium. I love Millennium. Um, so yeah, so I've got those are my three tattoos. Okay, but I've also I'm toying with the Spacing Guild tattoo from Dune and okay. the Cyclops, and then a couple of others. Okay, what do you think it would take for Cyclops to win the tattoo battle? Um, I I think the. I think I would have to decide that I was comfortable with that kind of pain again. That's such a weird answer, but uh, I like having my tattoos. They hurt, and I'm not somebody like – I know people who have tattoos are like, I kind of dig it, and I'm like, I am not that person. <laughs> I want to run away the whole time it's happening. Um, two of the tattoos I'm thinking of are much smaller. So, <laughs> so uh, Cyclops would hurt more. So Cyclops would hurt would – be, would be the third – or the – the third of four most yeah. hurtful it would hurt the most um and i think it's also about like where it belongs it, it feels like that tattoo feels like a weird one to have in my arms yeah um it's i like just, I was think just always looking at you wise yeah um so i'm not i think it would i think it would be a revelation that i would decide yeah that's where on my body i want that okay um yeah so it's more about various tattoo logistics than cyclops uh, yeah it, absolutely yeah. it's about logistics i think yeah. a cyclops tattoo uh, and i think the other thing about a cyclops tattoo that makes it hard is there isn't like a simple silhouette or something that says cyclops yeah right so it's got to be a little bit more of a complex image in order to really portray cyclops and all of my tattoos are just stark black and white outline kind of stuff so right um i think that's part of the deal is it's a little harder to portray him in that sense yeah and if you do like a whole like jim lee cyclops across your back oh, that's yeah. gonna be massive I mean, pain every little line so detail of pouches that would be amazing and my brother-in-law actually has a big sleeve of all of sort of his hero characters done in a very like Jim Lee, almost like 90s comic book style. Okay. It's really stunning. But of course, he's a Wolverine, not a Cyclops. So he's got the Wolverine. <laughs> so he's a badass like that. I'm really interested in the uh, the ways that you want to qualify your tattoos, which I totally <laughs> I, I totally understand that, like, you know, things shift over time. Sure. Um, but there's something fascinating to me about, like, having that level of uh, still wanting to keep it uh, the the nerdery as it was. Uh, we were talking about how Cyclops, like once you get used to something, you grow beyond it, but you also get used to it. Yeah. And I think that's a fascinating thing for uh, nerdy people who grew up in an era where nerdiness wasn't acceptable. Sure. You got used to it being, it's slightly secret. It's yeah. slightly a club. And I never want to be a hipster about it and want to say that it should be a secret club that other people aren't allowed to. Right. But for me, there's also a little bit of like, I grew up a little bit where this was this weird private thing and it was a discovery Yeah, when you found other people who liked it. And I'm fascinated with like uh, balancing that with like, it's open. Everyone should come in. You want to know about Cyclops? I'll tell you about Cyclops. It's yeah. a Cyclops party, but also like still keeping that little place in your heart where like Cyclops was this secret that I knew about. It. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, uh, I, it's, I quite, I like the quitting that kind of idea with a little bit of hipsterism because it makes it a little less sinister, but it's, I think it's why um, like, fandom gatekeeping and nerd gatekeeping has become as so insidious at the same yeah. time as toxic because there's a i think there's an there's an intellectually understandable route to it yeah um but that makes it all the more pervasive and, and i think dangerous and, and and wrong right but the idea that you know when we came up in the 80s i think i'm a good example of hiding a lot of the love for the things that i did or even if people knew about it, i tried to downplay it yeah you know there's a you it, it was it was difficult to own the things that you loved if what you loved was outside of the mainstream. And I think it's probably still true, although, you know, but now comic books and stuff are mainstream. But there was, if you did take ownership of it, the friends that I had that did boldly take ownership of it suffered for it. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there's a, there's a little bit of an idea that like, 
I think suffered maybe that we suffered to love these things openly before they were cool, right? Um, and I, I'm obviously where that tips the scales is where people start to say, so you can't really love these things because you didn't have to suffer. Yeah, I think that's, the, that's bullshit. I don't obviously agree with the, that. The, the, good, the right response to that is, thank goodness you don't have to suffer anymore to love the things yeah. that, I, that maybe I suffered for. That's obviously the appropriate response to that. But but that's I, again, I think that's why uh, that's why toxic fandom is so insidious and I think so pervasive is because is because of that very thing in some cases that people you feel a particular kind of ownership when you feel like you suffered in in service of this fandom and i think there's there's much more complexity to it and there's a lot of there's a lot of toxic fandom that doesn't have its roots in that but uh but i, I yeah i think it's why i think it's why especially when nerd gatekeeping i think really began to bubble up in like maybe like a decade ago when we started to see it on the yeah. internet as, as nerd stuff started to get why I think it wasn't squashed immediately. Yeah. Um, because I think that there was a a period there where it sort of walked an edge where it was much less toxic and edgelordy than it is right now. And there was a little bit more sympathy for it because, yeah, we get where this is coming from, or at least some of it. Yeah. And and if only we had known what it would blossom into, <laughs> I think we would have squashed it immediately. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I think that's... Uh, and so, yeah, my, my weird equivocation and qualification when I'm talking about my tattoos is... Um, <laughs> it's it's I guess probably a little bit of a character flaw, but certainly it's it's got its roots in that same place. Like yeah. I, you know, um, my idea of why these things are on my body is different, maybe than the, what the pop culture idea of this thing has become. Yeah, I think that's all fascinating, and I think I think you're totally right. I totally agree with you. And then I just think uh, from my own experience, if you're not projecting it to anyone else's experience. I also think it's it's okay to have your own memories of oh yeah this felt different when it was behind a veil sure. and not in any way that it should go back behind a veil again or that other people need to have that experience but I think there to me that's it's important to be able to separate out like what was my own personal experience yeah and reflect on it and like for me like having a tattoo where you put the things in a different language because that's the way it, it speaks to you yeah doesn't have to be hipster hipsterism oh you know? that's good yeah um, that, thank you well <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think I mean I think that there's the comic book movies revolution has really I think exposed a lot of this um and I think back to when the Brian Singer X-Men movies first came out and the way I felt about Cyclops you know James Marsden's Cyclops yeah. you know and there's a lot in James Marsden's portrayal of Cyclops that really speaks to me but there's a lot in how Cyclops was written in those movies that makes me a little frustrated the way that where it's almost an oversimplification of the 90s cartoon Cyclops yeah. rather than an understanding of the, of the character as I saw it but you know I'm also a writer uh, and a filmmaker and I you know you understand where the where the lines are drawn in order to make your movie work. And yeah. the Cyclops that I love deeply takes too long to explain <laughs> to uh, he, to portray properly. He needs his own damn movie. But I will say that one of my favorite experiences in the movies uh, uh, in the past, you know, five or six years was in um, Days of Future Past uh, when at the end of the movie after Wolverine has done all of his stuff and time has changed and, and he comes back into the room and he hears Gene's voice and he pushes open the door and... Scott is there. I saw it on Midnight Show because I'm a big nerd. Yeah. And Scott's there, which I did not expect. And uh, the, But the other thing that I didn't expect that filled me with such joy is the theater cheered when when Cyclops was for revealed. For Cyclops, screen. right? And that or might have Cyclops. been amazing for you to be I, like, in this room full of people cheering I, for Cyclops. I, it, honestly, it gives me a little bit of goosebumps <laughs> talking about it right now because it's not something that I expected. Yeah. And, and I identify so much with that character that... It felt almost like part of that was for me, and that's such a ridiculous and absurd. <laughs> no, it's why we connect to these thing. characters. If they could yeah. cheer for this guy, they yeah. could cheer for me too. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so great. <laughs> All right, I, I got us derailed from our. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry. sorry, no, I did. That was totally me. I went, to, went on a down tangent alley. So let's get back to it. If someone said an incorrect fact about Cyclops at a party, would you correct them? Uh, if it was appropriate for me to be like if i was in the conversation yeah probably i wouldn't insert myself into somebody else's conversation to make a correction although i would absolutely talk to my wife about it afterwards um <laughs> you just your eyes would scream yeah no I, I, my, eyes, my eyes would scream behind my glasses <laughs> and i would hold it and i would talk to christy about it afterwards unless it was in conversation with me in which case i probably would yeah. this makes perfect sense for everything that uh we've been talking about and what i've uh, been getting to know you over the better over this course <laughs> of the podcast that it would actually bug you yeah. But you would be very respectful oh, about yeah. uh, how you would express it. I think I'm 45. It's, uh, hopefully I've lived long <laughs> enough to learn those those boundaries. Uh, here's a weird one. Would you want a quote from Cyclops read at your funeral? Sure. Um, I think there's a there's a really great speech that he makes. I'm not sure if it's funeral appropriate. But in uh, uh, 
God Loves Man Kills, which was sort of a, initially outside of the main X-Men stream. It was like an early graphic novel kind of yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah. Chris Claremont wrote it. Um, Cyclops gives a really great speech um, that, that I, I think is uh, really revealing about the character that he uh, that's always been part of the character that, of Cyclops throughout his entire history, whether whatever else has changed, um, about uh, being good and not killing and being tolerant and... Uh, and righteous at the same time, not allowing intolerance and uh, and hate to fill, uh, being able to step out and stop that. That constant tension between it's the uh, you know um, uh, uh, free speech battle, right? The idea right. that you know you don't debate with Nazis; um, their ideas shouldn't be elevated to the level of a normal idea. This is Cyclops has a long speech in, in kind of in those veins. I think is super powerful. Right, it's the so, sort of the theme of you can't be tolerant of intolerance yeah it's it's in that place like you know we we don't kill and we don't do these things but it doesn't mean we shouldn't step up and stop injustice when we see it yeah oh that's great uh i read that comic many years ago i'm gonna have to revisit one of my favorites ever and it still holds up really well in fact in this moment i think it probably is super important for everybody to go back and revisit (laughs) god loves man kills there we go there's a mission for us uh (laughs) would you wear underwear with cyclops's face on them no question absolutely yeah this that was was a silly one for you you're thinking of getting a face tattoo (laughs) Uh, to be clear not a tattoo on my face cyclops's (laughs) face somewhere on my body right tattooed over your face make sure this is very clear <laughs> that in case Christy hears this later, and then we have to have a yeah. <laughs> I got a little Cyclops right in the middle of my own forehead. Uh, it's, it's actually so Cyclops is actually her favorite X Men as well. Oh, On our wow. first date, I learned that, and so uh, you know it's that's an important bonding moment for us. Yeah, did uh, you just kind of lose it in that moment? Uh, well, you managed to keep your cool. Uh, it was. I don't know. I don't know. You'd have to ask her if I kept my cool. <laughs> I I felt like I tried to keep my cool, but yeah, her dad, who's a big comic book nerd. Um, each of his kids have a, has a favorite X Men. I think he kind of imposed that on on their lives. And that's Christie's awesome. is is Cyclops. So, oh, that's, that's amazing! Yeah. So obviously she's all in for yeah, the she's Cyclops. The, she's statues. great. Yeah, no, it's all oh, good. Man, that's yeah. great. Uh, if Cyclops was real and he was running for public office, would you vote for him? Yes. Uh, yeah. No, I would absolutely vote for him. I would. Uh, if I were in a position to speak to him about it, I would make sure that he was surrounded and tempered by the right people to um, to help him with his sort of single vision, his, his uh, what, 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 like tunnel vision sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Okay. Cyclops, yeah. Uh, do you feel like that has ever, describing it in his tunnel vision, you literally put your hands to your head like Cyclops <laughs> yeah. does to open his visor. Yeah. Do you feel like that is an actual like metaphor of the character? I, I I do. I, I don't think it probably was originally intended that way. I don't yeah. think it was that complex. I in think the beginning. Stanley was just like, and one of them shoots beams from his eyes. But I, but I absolutely, I, I absolutely believe that it has been, uh, has the modern versions of Cyclops have been that. And I think I'm not 100 percent sure about this, but I think in the Grant Morrison run of the New X Men, I think somebody might have even mentioned that in the. Comics. Okay, just been explicit about yeah, it. Yeah, I think so. That makes sense, especially from Grant Morrison, who's yeah. somebody who's very thoughtful about the origins of the characters, but then tries to twist them around. Sure, yes, <laughs> and poke at them. Would you name a child or a pet after Scott Summers Cyclops? Uh, yes, uh, it would be weird because I have a brother-in-law named Scott, so okay. that would be weird. But absolutely, yeah, Scott, yeah. absolutely, Scott. In fact, Scott uh, Scott Summers is a great name for a pet. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what kind of pet would you? Name? name scott summers a well cat? i'm a cat is that, guy, a do- so okay, that would be a cat, cat. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, nice and athletic just like the real scott summers. i think it's important that it be the full name though scott summers the cat's name is scott summers <laughs> and you always have to say you can't you can't it's not just scott. It's scott every once in a while you can call it slim right yeah but, totally <laughs> uh if you could never read another x-men comic book unless it had cyclops in it would you be upset by that or do you want all of your x-men comics to have cyclops in them that's a fascinating question uh i I've actually I haven't been reading X Men comics for a little while since he died. Okay, um, but that isn't the only reason. I mean, there's uh, I I'm intermittent in my collecting anyway. Um, I think I would be okay with that. I like I I my favorite X Men stories are are stories that involve Scott. Um, uh, yeah, I okay, it'd be okay. There's lots so, of other comics. Yeah, it doesn't it wouldn't feel like a big loss to you? Uh, I mean, it would be a loss. Okay, uh, but. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I could live with it. But you are more of a Cyclops fan than an X Men fan. I mean, they're they're intertwined, obviously. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably true. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Interesting. Uh, if Cyclops got his own solo movie, and you were about to go to the premiere screening, 
but then a bear blocked your way. <laughs> Would you try to get around the bear? Um, if my option is to get around the bear, yes. I don't. I'm a 45-year-old man with a fair amount of life experience. I don't think I would fight a bear. Okay, you would not fight the bear. No, I think I, I'm, I think it's safe to say I would not win that fight. <laughs> um, but if I could get around him in some way, sure. Yeah, I would try to get around the bear. Okay. Yeah. Would, you ha- would you in that moment have that sense of desperation of like, no, I've been waiting for this my whole life? I mean, you described the feeling of just seeing an audience cheer yeah. For a brief cameo of Cyclops. Now you can see his whole own movie finally. I mean, and there's I, an obstacle. I'd be super mad at that bear and bears in general if I wasn't able to. <laughs> you would take it out on. I bear mean, right, yeah, right now general. I think bears are cool and whatnot, but I would be probably pretty mad at bears in general uh, if that happened. Fair enough. Uh, I ask everyone to make a noise to sum up their obsession. Oh gosh, um, it's got to be the laser noise advisor. I would do a little bit of a touch my glasses to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the noise. I think that's what it sounds like. That is really, really great because <laughs> it does uh, take it back. And it's the reason I love so much pop culture stuff is you can have deep, meaningful ideas. But then it comes back to, but we love the surface, too. We love oh, the sure. nerdy, dumb science fiction. He shoots yeah. lasers out of his eyes. That's just as much a part of it as the deep complex stuff look, I, I will never on my deathbed there'll be lots of things i look back and regret the amount of time i've spent making laser noises uh, will not be one of the things i regret that's that was all every moment of that was time well spent <laughs> oh that's awesome i ask everyone to rate their obsession uh on a scale of let's just say uh, one to 20 okay. 20 being the highest one being the lowest how obsessed do you think you are with cyclops like a seventeen. I, okay. I admit that it's it's a little out of control. Yeah. Like a seventeen. No, but what what about it feels out of control for you? Um. I I think the fact that I own a lot of things with his face on them are <laughs> yeah. I this is I think a good example. I have a uh, uh, Jim Lee X Men pillowcase. Okay. On one side is Scott Summers and first. Uh, is Cyclops is, a, is one of the characters on one side of it. And uh, first, when that pillowcase is clean and on my pillow, uh, great sense of joy. Just immediately yeah. bubbles into me. And before I go to sleep, if I've got that pillow, I make sure Scott's facing up. So <laughs> to me, that says there's something significant about this beyond like a normal, you know, thing. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I'm oh, not no, hearing no. anything. Uh, I think be, I'm always fascinated with this because the podcast is called Obsessed. And Obsessed has a, you know... Uh, somewhat negative connotation sure it's taking something you like maybe a little bit too far and i try to have a sense of fun or a sense of humor about it but a lot of times when people come on they're reading their obsession is like i can't go to 20 because that would mean i have a problem yeah and sometimes i'm like eh, maybe depending on what it is but i haven't heard anything from you that's like it's distract it's not like oh some days i miss work because i'm writing cyclops fan fiction that no one i'm writing it on the walls and no one I'm, will ever read it you know, i'm like, not saying that hasn't been true <laughs> uh i just don't see it as a bad thing and i guess so yeah i don't see it any point where, where it's taking away from your life well and interestingly the reason i didn't choose 20 uh it's so fascinating because i like 20 it didn't occur to me that 20 would be a bad thing the only reason i didn't say 20 is that i have other great loves that compete. okay so right. I, I in my mind like 20 meant to it's the exclusion everything. of all else. Okay. Um, so I ratcheted back to 17 so I could have four or five that are in that same range, you know. <laughs> this was room for um, Luke Skywalker. Basically, it's room for Dungeons and Dragons, room for Star Wars, room for <laughs> Luke Skywalker. Well, you know, uh, that's fascinating because it didn't even, uh, it honestly didn't even occur to me that 20 would be a bad thing. Yeah. It was just, I don't think 20 is actually what it is. Okay. No, that makes perfect sense because, yeah, I, I love Star Wars. You see a lot of Star Wars around my home, in a, it, and it is probably my number one obsession, but. At the same time, the current world facilitates that being sure. the biggest obsession. So I think if if you know somebody asked me the same question, like rate your obsession level, I'd be like, yeah, I got, I need a little bit of room for Doctor yeah. Who and Twin Peaks <laughs> and superheroes. Like, I need come space. On. Look, there's a yeah, there's a <laughs> lot of great things. It's nerd culture is so rich and so broad, um, and there's so much that I don't know, but there's so much that I love. And while you know Cyclops is incredibly important to me personally. Um, there's just so much richness out there, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. So, so 17. We'll get yeah. room for other things to, room get, for to fit in the coffee. <laughs> uh, can you tell people where they can find you on social media and anything else you want to plug? Oh, sure. Uh, so I'm David Nett, uh, at David Nett everywhere, uh, N-E-T-T. 
Um, so you can, if you have the notion to find me, you can always find me uh, on Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram and stuff. Um, I'm, uh, uh, you can find some of my work on Geek and Sundry uh, on nice. uh, on their alpha channel. I, I've written a couple of shows for them. Right now I'm the writer of Starter Kit, which is a show that teaches you to play role-playing games. Cool. Um, there's a couple of web series out there that I created back in the day. There's, I'm a jack of all trades. So there's a bunch of stuff. So yeah, just look for David Nett. You'll find me. Okay, cool. Here are some quick plugs uh, for this show, and then we'll do our final weird questions. Excellent. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host. That's called Force Center. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. And finally, you can support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. All right, here are final questions. They don't have anything to do with your obsession, but they can if you would like. If you could eat only one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Euros. Really? Yes, that was fast. Absolutely. I, 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 I'm a super weird nerd, and I think about things a lot, and that's one of the things I have thought about. I love Mediterranean food, and euros are the perfect food. <laughs> Do you feel that way from a taste perspective, a health perspective, or both? Uh, mostly a taste perspective. That started well before I was trying to become fit and healthy, but they're actually pretty good for you, too. So Okay, they're well-balanced. All right, yeah. there you go. If there was a dance move named after you, <laughs> what might it be? Oh, shit. Um... <laughs> The let's call it the well-intentioned shuffle. That's what it would be called. <laughs> okay, I gotta ask what it might look like. The well-intentioned shuffle. Would this be a a, a well-intentioned shuffle? Like somebody's kind of trying to shuffle along. I, I but... think it's a little bit of that. It's, it's pretty formless. Um, a little bit offbeat sometimes. And I think that it comes it comes with uh, a facial expression that is, I'm trying really hard to to have uh, fun and be meaningful and present. But uh, I have such little control over my body, and <laughs> and I don't know how it to dance. So that's what it, that's what it is. So the facial yes. expression is a large part of it. Okay, yeah. excellent. It's just it's a dance that says I like you, I'm, and I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying exactly. <laughs> I would really like to be part of this, please. <laughs> oh, that's great. The final question for everyone on the podcast is: What is happiness? Uh, I think happiness is being able to. Be who you are without shame or second-guessing yourself. Yeah, and just kind of live in that moment. I think, yeah, being able to be comfortable in that way. Um, yeah, I, I, I really, like, I, I yeah. actually something I think about very often, but when you said it, I think, I, I, I think that comfort with being okay with yourself and who you are is, is super important. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, just being I able to look so. in the mirror and say, I am a 17-obsessed <laughs> Cyclops fan. And I think everything flows from that, honestly. Yeah. You know, the things that, that you that you th- we think of in life that bring us happiness, relationships and everything, I think the best versions of all of those come from a place when you are comfortable with yourself and can be who you are. Yeah, I think that's a great answer and, and something that we should all <laughs> try to remember as much as possible. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Of course, Joseph. Thank you, man. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. So I think one of the most telling things about Cyclops as a character overall through his whole time is what happened when he got the Phoenix Force power. Um, when he became uh, it, essentially the most powerful being, at least in our part of the galaxy, the first thing he did was he tried to fix war and famine and put the Earth on a path toward uh, peace and goodness. He did it in a horrible way without permission <laughs> or consent, but I think it's telling that even in the worst place that Cyclops was when he was the biggest villain, he was still trying to do the right thing. <laughs>